come set your rule and reign in our hearts again increase in us we pray unveil why we're made come set our hearts ablaze with hope like wildfire in our very souls holy spirit come invade us now we are your church we pray revive this earth we seek your kingdom Good morning, everyone, and thanks for tuning in this morning. Whether you are close or far away, we're glad to have you. Uh, with this whole COVID-19, there's, there's a lot of concern about uh, what you can do, you know. Uh, what am I aiming at? Well, let me help with us with that a little bit, because uh, we've been wrestling with this now for a couple months. You know, when you go hiking, it's a good illustration in the hills, there's always a few basics that you take with you besides some water and some food. You take a knife or a pocket knife. Uh, you take something to start a fire with. 
You take some string or a rope. You take a compass so you know what direction you're walking in. You take an emergency blanket. And why you do this is because the mountains are incredibly beautiful, but they're also incredibly unforgiving. And likewise, in the Christian life, there are a few basics that you take with you no matter what situation you're in. Things that are just basic necessities for the trail or the journey of the Christian life. So the question would be, what are the basics? You know, the the first base stuff that you have to remember to take with you. Well, first, remember to read your Bible daily. Many of us are reading through the Bible again, and Phil Wagner's doing a great job of encouraging us and keeping us on track. And you, again, can sign up for that. It's, again, front desk at nview.org. We'll help you get started. But uh, reading your Bible every day, even if you're not in a program, but some favorite places or something you've never read before and you've always wanted to, it's a great way to stay connected with the Lord. The second thing is very closely tied to it. Remember to pray. Uh, Couples, I have told you uh, for years, your praying together is the engine that keeps our church together. And that is totally true, especially true now. Singles, that doesn't exclude you. You need to find people you can pray with and you can do Zooms or conference or phone. There's so many opportunities, but uh, instead of just uh, talking, why not spend some time in prayer together? And the idea there is stay in close and stay in communication. Don't just tell God your needs, but also take time to listen. What's he saying? What, what's his heart? And remember that he's here and that he knows. This has not caught him by surprise and we need him. It's, it's not the other way around, right? And remember, number three, that it's by faith. This is where our faith engages. Each day begins by faith. Keep your faith fresh. Keep it expectant. Watch where he's working. Look for where you see him at work. And then number four, remember that repentance is a process. It's a daily one at that. Keep your heart, your soul, your mind clean. Stop if you caught yourself doing something. Back up, get back on the right track, and keep walking with them. And then the last one, of course, is the one we love so much. Be patient. I know that's an irritating one right now, but sincerely, uh, we've got a long way to go. It was over a month ago that I gave the message about waiting patiently. And, um, you know, Most of us had hopes at that time that this would be over by now. Well, it's not. And I think we're going to have to set our hearts for the long haul. And again, prayer is a must in this. You're not going to make it if you don't pray. And so I give you those those five, and I hope that it's helpful. So let's pray this morning and ask Jesus through his Holy Spirit to help us in this time. And then we'll turn it over to Terry and the worship team. Would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, we seek you this morning. A lot of us are starting to feel an irritation factor, starting to feel a limitation factor, starting to sense a, a growing sense of fear and concern. And Lord, we stop this morning and lift this up and, and Lord, we proclaim you as the God of the present circumstances. That's what you tell us. You hold the entire universe together by the power of your word. And we are within that word, within a relationship with your son, the Lord Jesus. And you've told us how to keep our eyes on you and how to follow. And we're going to talk this morning about your right to set your king in place. And Lord, we want to be in line with that. We want to cooperate with that. So we give this morning over to you. We ask for you to be among us. Help us speak to us. Uh, Use the time together well. 
Even though we're scattered, may we have a sense of being together and we give that to you with great hope and place this in your name. Amen. All right, Terry, team, take it away. Good morning, Northview. I get the incredible honor of leading all of you in worship today. Esther was not able to, so thank you. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 18, 20, for where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there with them. So I just want to encourage everybody to, to stand up and worship with us today and to sing and praise his name, even though we're not able to be together to worship. Uh, we as a church body can still worship the one who deserves all of the glory. Conquer 
powerful name. Lord, we just, we just want to come here before you. We just want to thank you for bringing us together today. We just worship you and we honor you. And even though through these strange times that we just still want to come together and we just want to honor you and we want to give you praise and we want to give you glory. And we just pray that you protect our friends and our families. And we also want to just, we want to thank you. Thank you so much for the time that we've gotten together with our our own families and reconnected with our husbands and our children. And I know it's been tough and I, and there's some days that you feel like you just can't get through it, but with your help and you are are everything and you are our rock that we stand on. We just love you. We just want to give you praise and, and glory. Thank you so much. Amen. So we're in a new series uh, called Truth Versus Lies, and it's based out of the Psalms. So let's just do a quick review of where we've gone so far. In the first message, we looked at how God works through covenant, that God is a covenant-keeping God, and he expects his people to be a covenant-keeping people. And we looked at Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Then we saw how it was passed from Jacob down through Joseph and Joseph sustained the covenant. Then we uh, saw how it got passed to Moses and then uh, on to um, Joshua into the promised land. And then we came all the way around to King David, who is one of the main writers of the Psalms. And David uh, went, was brought into what is called a suzerainty covenant with God. The greater, the more powerful enters into a covenant with the weaker. And then last week, message, the second message uh, was based off of Psalm 1, and we ran into the first lie that uh, we encountered, and that is that there's no difference between the righteous and the wicked. You hear that a lot today. There's no difference between Christians. Their lives are the same. Their habits are the same. Uh, all the surveys say there's really no difference, but God says there's a big difference. There's a big difference in what he's planted in people, and especially at the judgment. And then today we're going to encounter line number two. Line number two is that God does not have the right to insert his king and rule, that he has no right to interfere with our business. So take your Bibles, open them to Psalms 2, and uh, let's, let's pray again, and then, then we'll, we'll look at it. Father in heaven, the Psalms are epic treasures and pictures that are Marvelous beyond belief how some of this stuff was recorded and, and written down is absolutely astonishing what it says and what it captures. And we want to walk in that. We want to um, let you speak to us in that this morning. So, Father, we give that to you and we seek your heart as we walk through this and ask this in your name. Amen. So Psalm 2 goes like this. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Now certainly this psalm applied to David. Uh, it is what is known as a royal psalm and it applied to the king and that would have been David uh, and who David who actually wrote it. And one of the things that's interesting is it's hard for us to remember that not everyone within Israel wanted David to be king. Uh, Nabal's evaluation might sum it up best when he sent his men to Nabal um, for some food. 
uh, Nabal responded, who's David? And who's the son of Jesse? I mean, there's many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and, and my water and my meat that I've killed for my shearers and give it to the men who come from I don't know where? In other words, what makes you guys legitimate? You just came here wandering through and now you expect me to treat you to hospitality? You aren't going to be alive for very long. Matter of fact, Saul's going to kill you. I'm going to place my bets with him. And in another setting, David was actually seen as a traitor for going over to the Philistines. And many saw David's actions as rebellion against Saul, who in their eyes was the rightful king. Here's the interesting point. Saul was the people's choice. David was God's choice. Saul was the people's choice because of his stature. He was head and shoulders taller than anyone in Israel and says he was a very handsome man. David was God's choice because of his heart. And again, the opinion was divided. This can even be seen in Judah's acceptance of David as king seven years before the rest of Israel agreed. And it carries even farther to outside the borders of Israel where Israel's enemies hated David and did not want him to be king either. Thus the psalm captures their rage. Look at it again. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart. Let us cast away their cords from us. In other words, let's get these ridiculous restrictions and shackles off of us. We don't want anything to do with your laws. And right here, as it's talking, uh, there's a shift that takes place in the psalm. You can feel it. it it's, this is not only true of David, and we've seen this many times before, but it telescopes into the future. It's talking about David and then a future fulfillment of this as well. Uh, this is the world's attitude and resentment against God and his authority and his king. And notice it isn't just against the Lord, but also against his anointed. Notice that anointed is capitalized. This is the Messiah. This is Jesus and is talking about. Psalm 2 is one of the most quoted psalms in the entire New Testament. This psalm has incredible significance for me personally. I just want to tell you the story. Uh, it's a long time ago, but when I got saved, I was freaked out that I was 22 years behind everybody. And so I thought one of the ways I could catch up is to read the Bible. And so I read through the Bible twice in six months. And when I hit this psalm, it stopped me dead in my tracks. One of the reasons it did is because that was me. That was my attitude towards God and towards Jesus before I got saved. And it dawned on me, this psalm had predicted Jesus' rule long before he ever showed up. I was floored, stunned. It, it personalized my authority problem. And it crystallized the issue. Mine wasn't an acceptance issue. Mine was an authority issue. I had a problem with God being God. Maybe a better way to put it is I had a problem with God insisting that he had the right to rule in my life. And when I hit this psalm, it brought about an even deeper level of repentance because I could see for the first time how it looked through God's eyes from his vantage point. And I also realized something else that was really startling. He wasn't asking, he was telling. And I had a choice. I could come under his authority 
or I could get run over by it. And thankfully, I was able by the the grace extended to me, like so many of us, to submit and yield. Many were saying in David's time and many are saying today, let us burst their bonds apart. Let us cast their cords from us. They want to get the shackles, quote unquote, off of us. Get away from religion. Get away from God. We will be our own gods. And God has a response for this. And it's actually quite startling. If we look at the next set of verses, it says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. The word laughs here could be understood as scoffing or scoffing laughter. In other words, in uh, mockery of their claim. And this is backed up by the word of the word use of the word derision. Derision means contemptuous ridicule or mockery. In other words, God is laughing at their claims and saying, I have made a decree. And he's looking at the objectors and saying, really? You want a deal? Here's the deal. I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And it says that God's countenance when he says that will terrify them. In this psalm, he is taking the position of the great high God who is above all others. And what he's saying is that no one in heaven or on earth can challenge him. And he is firmly stating that he has set his king, his Messiah, in Zion, the city of David, in Jerusalem. Listen to this description in the next section of the psalm. He says this, I will tell of the decree The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Certainly this was true of David. God gave David possession of all the nations around him. And this also fits the suzerainty covenant that Yahweh established with David as well. Begotten here does not mean I birthed you. Obviously, Jesse was David's father. Begotten here means I have lifted you up. I have exalted you to the highest status. Literally, you are my king. But it also telescopes to David's descendants through David's lineage and the the royal line that would come of which God had spoken to David. Out of that would come the, the Messiah. And here is where the description gets really interesting. The phrase, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I've begotten you, is really greatly misunderstood and used often uh, by others to mean that Jesus was a created being and was birthed by God. And thus, in this line of thinking, Jesus is not God, but was birthed by God and thus his son, but a created son nonetheless. But begotten here does not mean I birthed you. Obviously, again, like we said, Jesse was David's father. Begotten here means I have lifted you up. I've exalted you to the highest statue. Literally, you are my king. Look at the use of how this is used in the New Testament. Uh, The Apostle Paul actually uses this terminology uh, to defend that Jesus is raised from the dead and is God. In Acts chapter 13, Paul uses this defense. Look at what he says. It says, and we bring you the good news. The good news is the gospel that Jesus is God and came down, walked on this earth, died on the cross for our sins, and therefore took off the judgment 
from us because he paid the price for our sins. Therefore, we can be saved. We can be healed. We can be freed in him. And not just that, but given eternal life if we believe in him. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Paul says, we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And so Paul ties this back to the second Psalm. So Paul's using the resurrection as a basis for Jesus' claim of godhood. And it's in this sense that he has been begotten. And he goes on to say, And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I give you the holy and sure blessings of David. In other words, all the blessings and promises that any Jewish person would have recognized that were given to David have been fulfilled to the utmost in Jesus. And so Paul ties Jesus to David that they were both begotten, but Jesus is not the same as David. Paul now explains the difference. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. In other words, he died. His body went into the grave and rotted. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, this is Jesus, who was risen from the dead, this man, forgiveness of sins, is proclaimed to you. There actually is a way your sins can be forgiven, and it's through Jesus. That's still relevant for today. It is proclaimed to us, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. The writer of Hebrews also takes this idea and uses it in the same way to establish Jesus' godhood and his uniqueness. Look in Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the power of his word. That's this incredible description. It's saying Jesus is the creator of the world, and not just the world, but the universe, and that he, Jesus, holds it, the universe, together by the power of his word. Uh, John Burkholder, who was here just three weeks ago and spoke, um, great friend, and uh, he has a a friend who's a physicist at the University of Washington. And John was curious because he was studying some of these things and actually studying this passage. And so he went to his friend and he said, asked them, uh, how many layers past the atom have you, meaning the scientists, found? And his response was 17. So 17 layers uh, past the atom. And, that, and then John asked him, and, and what's past that? And his friend's answer was that they didn't know. But it was like something was holding it all together. Well, Scripture tells us it wasn't a something, but rather a someone. And it goes on and reveals the exaltedness of, the one, of, of this person, who is the same person who's being talked about in Psalm 2. It says, after making purification for sins, that is his death on the cross, 
He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? I know this can get uh, a little belabored, but hang in there with me for just one more illustration. Uh, The writer of Hebrews uses one more illustration to illustrate the uniqueness of Jesus, and that is of a high priest. A high priest is a person who intercedes between God and man. What does it say about Jesus? Well, Hebrews 5 says this, For every high priest is chosen from among men, is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And that person can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset by weaknesses. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So using the illustration of the Aaronic priesthood here. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but he was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now let's go back to Psalm 2 and let's, let's put this all together. So far, what do we have? Well, here's what we've got. The nations don't want God or his king. They are actively planning to resist and overthrow not just the idea, but God himself. What does God think of that idea? It says he scoffs at them, and it says that he is setting his king in Zion, regardless of their opinion, and that this king will terrify them. And then we run into another interesting phrase here as well. It's the picture of a scepter. It says, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. What's unusual is that uh, the scepter here is not made out of gold, which signified royalty. Do you remember Esther in the, in the book of Esther uh, when, when she was asked by Mordecai, her, her uncle, to approach the king? And Esther was reluctant because she said, hey, you know the law. And if, if I come in unannounced, uh, the only law there is is that I will be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter to me. But here we find we don't find a scepter made of gold, which signifies royalty, but rather we find a scepter of iron, which signifies strength. This is not Jesus meek and mild, the submissive son. This is Messiah, God's choice, God's king. And the description of how a rod of iron is capable of smashing clay pots is the description that God is using. This right here would be an example of an iron scepter. This has uh, great strength to it and great weight to it. And you can see that this would be destructive. We'd like to use the illustration of what that would look like uh, if God were to smash the nations like an iron scepter smashes clay pots. Having watched that, now let's look at Revelation 19. When it says he will terrify them when he comes. It says, then I saw heaven opened 
And behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, another illustration, uh, this time using steel, a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so Psalm 2 concludes on this note. Now therefore, as a result of that, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled and blessed are all those who take refuge in him. So likewise, we should serve the Son with fear and trembling. In the old days, when a person approached a sovereign or a king, you would come to the throne and the king would hold out his ring hand. And on his ring finger would be his ring, which signified his kingdom and all the power associated with it and his position. And if you were to honor the king, what one would do is kneel and then kiss that ring, signifying one's submission to the king's authority. Let me ask you this morning, have you kissed the ring? Have you knelt under the authority of the Lord Jesus? Have you come under God's king and his authority? Have you repented of your own self-rule? Have you yielded to his? Now would be a fantastic time in history to do that. There's never been a better time to do that. The need is obvious. The Bible tells us to seek him while he may, while he still may be found. COVID-19 is bad, but Jesus can still be found. And here's the other side of it. We better not be faking. God is not interested in posturing. Uh, what do I mean by faking? Well, you know, it's really possible that a person could be kneeling on the outside, but still standing up on the inside. Again, now we can do that but we will be smashed like clay pots. True submission means acknowledging and yielding to the authority of God's King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's take that warning seriously. Would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, I have rehearsed your words, and I pray that you give them life by your Spirit. Speak to who you need to speak to, and may those who are there this morning hearing this, and they know they are resisting you. They know they're running their own stuff. They know they don't want to submit. May that smashing of pots give them a picture why it would be wise to do so right now, to submit today, to give it up, and to yield to you like I did years ago in that powdered milk factory. Father, we seek you that your word would go out, it would not come back void, and we ask that you would encourage us, Lord, as we go through this, that we would continue 
to let you develop character in us through what are very frustrating times. We seek you for that. And we ask for your help and give this to you in your name. Amen. Thank you, Steve. We just want to invite you to stand up if you're able. And let's go ahead and uh, sing one last song together. The night is dark.
thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us this day. We just come before you and we just worship and praise you. And as we carry out on our week, we just pray that you're with us and that you just give us strength and determination to get through the things that we need to get through today. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for all that you are and all that you have ever been. In your name we praise, amen. Thank you, worship team. Deeply appreciate you leading us again. Great job. And uh, thanks for the sacrifice behind the scenes that you put in to help us worship. Uh, We have questions again. And so let me give you the questions of the week coming off of the message. And by the way, if you have other questions or uh, this is just to kick up Uh, ideas and discussion in your home. Uh, You certainly don't have to follow these, but these are just to help you get it started. So number one, what's your impression of Psalm 2? Have you read it before? Is this the first time? Did you see something you hadn't thought about before? What's the overall impression you come away with when you read Psalm 2? Number two, do you think God is terrifying? I know that's a catch question. Uh, We think of God as approachable and that God loves us, but this is talking about another side of God as God is authority and terrifying. What do you think of that? How do you work with that? How does that impact you? Number three, what did you think of the illustration of the smash pots when it says that God will dash the nations like a rod of iron and dash the pots to pieces? Uh, when you actually saw that, what did that illustrate for you um, with the Lord? And number four, Have you settled the authority issue of God's rule versus your own self-rule in your life? Have you truly given over control of your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? And are you trusting him? Or are you trusting your own self to be able to get through this? And then number five, have you kissed the ring? Have you actually knelt and submitted to his authority and come into eternal life in a relationship with him? Those are all great questions. You may come up with your own, but uh, have some fun chugging through that. And then prayer points for this week. Number one, let's pray for those who are in marginalized situations in our culture. And I'm, I'm just thinking about single moms. I'm thinking about families that were living paycheck to paycheck. I'm thinking about people who are, just have very broken circumstances. I feel the pressure increasing and we can see the signs of it in the parking lots and that kind of stuff. Let's, let's pray for those uh, who are truly in that situation and pray that they would actually cry out to God. Secondly, let's pray for the leaders of our country. C- scripture tells us to, commands us to, let's actually do it. Let's ask God that he would give them a collective wisdom that would help us out of this ditch that we're in and that proves to be a pretty long ditch unless the Lord rescues us. Number three, there are right now several Northview families that have need of prayer right now. Family situations, uh, some deaths, some sicknesses, and things like that. And we'd like to just ask you to lift up Northview families who are going through that. And then lastly, number four, again, pray for us for wisdom at Northview. Uh, Small group leaders, uh, everybody involved, but especially uh, myself and the elder board and other leaders in the church, that God would give us a wisdom to know what to do. Well, thank you again for joining us this week. Thanks so much for spending time with us. And we pray that this will help you track with Jesus and that you'll have a great walk this week. We'll see you again next week.